All the way my Savior leads me. When was the last time you sang that? Anyone remember singing it? Okay, so it's not a completely... This is one of the requested songs that I asked if there were some songs that you would like to hear about. This is one of the ones that was requested. And it dates back a fair way. But it's an interesting theme, isn't it? All the way my Savior, what? Leads me. What sort of a picture does that paint in your mind as you think of it? If you were all given a blank sheet of paper and this was a Sunday school class and I say, I'd like you to paint a picture that, that really shows how you feel about this. What kind of picture would you paint? What would you reach for first? The, the red crayon, the green crayon, the black crayon? The, what, what, what color would you reach for first? Would you start with a, with a sky? Would you start with a horizon or perhaps some trees? Or would you, you start by painting a picture? Uh, what, what would you start with? Where would you start? Any suggestions? Yellow. Yellow? Okay. Yeah. We got some nice light, and what are we going to add to this this painting? A mountain. A mountain sounds good. Blue skies. Blue skies. Okay, it's it's getting to be really good. What what we've got Jesus in there. Okay, so now we've got the scene of creation and intercreation. We now have a picture of Jesus. What else do we need in this picture? A pathway. Okay, we've got a pathway. And what else can I add to my picture? Water. We're still missing one thing. You. You. That's right. And I hope it looks like a picture of you either walking towards Jesus or following him. Because in so many pictures in our lives, Jesus is there, the light is there, creation is there, everything's in place, but we're facing away from Jesus, or we're walking away. And some of our decisions do that to us, don't they? But this particular author, a woman by the name of Fanny Crosby, She wrote, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. And I've got a little video clip here to help you learn a bit about her. But just before that clip, think about these scriptures. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when, when... Boy, I tell you, when you're dead, that's a good time to be made alive, isn't it? And that's what God seeks to do in us. And it is by what? Grace. Grace, God's undeserved favor, that you have been saved if you have put your faith in him. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. How Secure is that, to know that my soul, my eternity is secure. It is seated with Christ already in the heavenly places. 
in order that in the coming ages he, that is God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. How many times have we seen the name of Jesus mentioned in just these few verses? That's why we needed a picture of Jesus on that painting we just made. And we need to be looking at him and we need to be following him, don't we? For it is by grace you have been... Let's read this together. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the... Not by... So that... For we are... Created... Why? Which God prepared in advance for us to do if we make the decision to do them. And that's the wonderful thing. Will I make that decision? Blessed Assurance is one of the most beloved songs in the United Methodist Hymnal. And the person who composed this classic is credited with writing 8,000 hymns in her lifetime. All this despite losing her sight six weeks after birth in 1820. Fanny Crosby was not held back at all by her blindness and probably by the words of her poetry and hymns helped more people to see and know and experience Jesus as anybody with two working eyes and 20-20 vision. From the age of 15, Crosby attended the New York Institute for the Blind and later joined the faculty and met her husband there. Alexander Van Alstine, blind himself, was supportive. He often transcribed his wife's poems since Crosby could not write and composed the lyrics entirely in her mind. Crosby's writings never brought her wealth. She was often paid just a dollar or two per poem, with the rights to the songs being retained by the composer or music publishers. At one point, the songstress was destitute, but Crosby wrote in her autobiography that the songs were God's work and not for profit. Any royalties were often donated to the mission work she championed with immigrants and the poor. Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior was penned while Crosby was working in prison ministry. In 1850, the poetess experienced a conversion at Chelsea Methodist Episcopal Church in New York. Crosby was drawn to the denomination's work with the marginalized. Rescue the Perishing was written one night after Crosby prayed with men at a city homeless shelter. Crosby's song spoke to social issues of the day, including the temperance movement and the campaign against child labor. Her writing process always started with a prayer, and she sometimes composed six or seven poems a day, setting a personal goal of winning a million people to Christ through her hymns. Crosby said many times, don't waste sympathy on me. I'm the happiest person alive. She passed away in 1915 at the age of 94. Her life was her hymnody at the rate at which she wrote. That's, she didn't have time for much else. It was her passion.
to be disadvantaged just over a hundred years ago was to be disadvantaged indeed. But here's a woman who made a choice that whatever God had given her, she would use it for the glory of God. And at that day, to set as a personal goal to try and lead a million people to know Christ, though blind, unable to see, and needing the help of others to get around. Absolutely incredible. And God blessed her, and blessed her over and over again, and has continued to bless her by blessing us, because we have songs like this, All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? If I know God is leading me, and God is in my life, what else really do I need? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divine comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. Now is that a statement of faith or what? That is a choice. To make that statement and then live by it, that is indeed a choice. And we face so many choices. And what kinds of choices do we make? So often we say, well, what's in it for me? Well, I'm not sure that that really, I, I don't really like that idea. Or, or I want to live this kind of life. Or I'm going to do this or that. And I don't care what God thinks or anybody else thinks. I'm just going to do my own thing. And yet we see people who choose to live for God and they live incredible lives and they have left an incredible legacy. I read of some of the kings, ancient kings of Israel. One in particular, it says, he died. He was a very rich king. He had exercised all of his power for his own glory. And it says, he died and nobody mourned. They were glad to see the back of him. Choices that are made. People in great power and wealth make choices and people are glad to see the end of them. Other people of, of humble circumstances, people gather and remember them even today, hundreds of years later, because they lived a godly life. What kind of choices are we making with what God has given us? Scriptures say, trust in the Lord. You've, many of you have memorized this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend or lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That's what Fanny Crosby was singing about, wasn't it? Yeah. All the way my Savior leads me. Cheers each winding path I tread. Yes, life does have some twists and turns. And we can't always predict which way it's going to go. You've been on some twists and turns as a congregation. And I've been privileged to be able to be on part of that journey with you. And it's exciting to see where God is leading you as, as he's bringing a new pastor and you start a, a new chapter in your life. He cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial. And yes, life still has trials. 
And that's part of the reality of life. But we face those trials by walking with Christ. He feeds me with the living bread. We'll be celebrating communion shortly. And that's participating in the one who is the living bread, the Son of God. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Gushing from that rock before me, a spring of joy I see. Painting a picture of Israel in the wilderness where they were dying of thirst and God caused water to come out of a rock and the people were fed. And we're told that Jesus is that rock and he is the living water. Jesus spoke to a woman at a well, a woman who was not respected in her community and who came out at a time of day to avoid meeting anyone. And Jesus met her and he said, could you give me a drink of water? And she was surprised. Who, why would you, a man? Because in those days men would not speak to strange women and strange women wouldn't speak to strange men. Uh, but he said, would you give me a drink of water? And though surprised, she said, well, I'm, I'm surprised that you're asking me. And then Jesus said to her, if you knew who is speaking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And she was again astonished. She said, well, you have nothing to draw with. And then he revealed to her what we don't see revealed really plainly to anyone else, to other people like his disciples. And Peter, he said, who do you say I am? And he tried to draw it out of them. The religious leaders would say to Jesus, tell us plainly who you are. But to this woman, he said, I am the Messiah. Jesus revealed himself to her as the living water to meet the need of this woman. She went and she became an evangelist in her town and people came out to see Jesus. Are you happy? Are you content? What would it take for you to be content? Can you be content with what God has given you today? even with whatever you consider to be a disability or a challenge or a pain or an annoyance or a very real need. The apostle said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Circumstances don't need to change for me, he said, in order for me to be content and have God's joy. We always seem to be in our society saying, well, unless I am this, or unless I have that, or unless I become this, or unless I become that, I can't be content, or I can't be fulfilled. My fulfillment lies in having this, or buying that, or getting this, or becoming that. We look to everything except God and wonder why we are continuing to be frustrated and unhappy. God says, look to me. I am the author of joy. 
I am the one who can give you what you need. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being... Boy, it's hard to say that, isn't it? I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And folks, if you have to change something about yourself in order to be content, then you aren't looking at the right thing. Whether well-fed or hungry or living in plenty or in want, I can do all this or I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I can live with my circumstance even if I'm born blind or even like a young woman who dove off into the water and broke her neck and was a paraplegic and is a paraplegic to this day and lives out of a wheelchair with the help of another person and has become an individual who has written songs and become an inspirational speaker and begun a, begun a ministry to the disabled around the world. Anyone know her name? Johnny Erickson Tata. Are you as disabled as she? Are you as challenged as she? But she is saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Her focus was shifted from herself, a beautiful young woman, full of life and full of potential. She could have spent the rest of her life in tears and, and, and bitterness. But instead, she looked to Christ, and Christ has given her a ministry that most of us could only dream of. I can do all this through him who gives me the strength. All the way my Savior leads me, says Johnny Erickson. Cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. All these things he does for us. Oh, the fullness of his grace. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's blessed embrace. Where my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. That would be our song at the end of the path. When we see Jesus and we've lived for him and know that we are content because he has given us all we need and now he has brought us to dwell with himself. What a song that'll be in heaven because our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform these lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Doesn't matter whether you're trying to gain weight, lose weight, put on muscle, lose muscle, whether you're trying to be more manly or more womanly, it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. When we see him, we will all be changed and we will be like him for we will see him as he is. I just want to close this portion by having you think about a couple of fellows who lived in difficult circumstances 
They've been taken captive by an invading army. They've been taken away from their homes. They had seen their homes destroyed. They'd seen all their wealth taken away from them. They were probably dragged naked from their home to their new country. Barefoot, hungry, not knowing if this would be the day they would die. They were dragged off as prisoners, forced to learn a new language, wondering what would come next, feeling that they had absolutely no power over anything. And then they were made students in the court of a foreign king, learning this foreign language, eating foreign foods. And King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king over Babylon in those days, made a decision that everyone would have to follow. And he made a statue of gold, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And he sent messengers to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up and declared that they should come before this statue. And when they were there, a herald would shout out and all the people, everyone who was gathered from whatever race or nation or language, that when they heard the sound of this orchestra he had gathered, that they would have to bow down and worship this idol. And these powerless young men demonstrated that they had one thing, faith in God. Powerless had one thing, faith in God. And they said, well, the king said, anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately burnt to death. They'll be thrown into this oven that he had set up for the occasion, barbecue. Barbecued people, if you don't do what I tell you. So the music began, and the statue was there, and the moment had arrived. And now they have no choice but to bow down. But some astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, and it never seems to fail that whenever there's a difficult situation, there'll always be someone who will come along and say, you know who isn't doing it? You know who isn't following the rules? There's always going to be someone who wants to stick it to someone else and who, who takes great joy in someone else's misery and want to elevate themselves by putting someone else down. Well, long live the king. If you're going to be nasty, always start by complimenting the person who has the power to help you be nasty, right? That was their motto. You, oh, king, you've issued this decree that everyone have to bow down and worship. And oh, king, you're wonderful king. You're, you're a beautiful king. Let me kiss your hand again. That decree also states that those who don't obey must be thrown into the, the fire. Did I tell you that you were a wonderful king? But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you put them in charge and I really would like their jobs. 
people. You put them in charge and they're not paying attention to you because you're such a wonderful king and they refuse to worship your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Folks, here in Canada, there are gold statues that are set up. There are standards that our nation sets that are ungodly standards. There are things promoted on the television that are ungodly things. There are things in the books you read that are ungodly things. And even though everybody else is singing to the world's tune, God is asking, will you be like these three? And say, this far I cannot go. I cannot bow down to these things. I will not bow down to these things. But wait a minute, there are consequences. If I don't do what I'm being told to do, if I don't believe what they tell me to believe, if I don't act like them and dress like them, there will be consequences for me. I won't be popular, or I may not get a promotion, or I might not get this job. There will be consequences. They refused to worship your gods. And Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. And when they were brought in, he said, Is this true? Do you really refuse to worship and serve my gods that I have set up? Who are you to defy me? I will give you one more chance. And if you refuse, that's it for you. And then what God is going to help you? And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. This is not my battle. I don't have to fight this battle. Even if you choose to throw me in jail, fine me, cause me not to get a promotion, have me lose my job. And in one job that I had, I remember I, I took a stand against working on some material that I thought was pornographic. And my employers called me in and they said, are you going to work on this job? And I said, in clear conscience, I can't. And they said, well, either you work on that job or all of the annual benefits and bonuses that you would have received, you're going to lose them. And I said, I'm sorry. I cannot do this. They were true to their word and I was true to my word. There are always consequences and we have to make choices. These three made their choice. King Nebuchadnezzar says, what God can save you? They said, our God is able to save us and he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, even if God chooses to allow us to experience the consequences of standing for the truth, I'm not going to serve these false gods because I'm going to honor the living God. Are you prepared to take a stand for God? Well, they chose not to. 
what happened to those three men? Was there a consequence? Did they survive? Were they burnt to death? Well, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to read for yourself in Daniel chapter 3 and find out how the story ends.